As we're having a seat, let's give the Lord another hand. Great day of worship. I'm thankful for Chris and for our worship team and uh, all the work that they are putting in to lead us before the throne of God each and every week. I want to just say good morning again. It's great to be back with you this morning after uh, being out last week. Lana and I had an opportunity to get away for our 20th anniversary. I know I do not look old enough to have just had a 20th anniversary, but it is true. I want to thank my brother James Henderson uh, for, for preaching in my absence last week. Uh, if you did not get a chance to go and listen to that sermon, please do that. You'll be blessed as he took us back and looked at Peter's life and uh, some of the, the lessons that we learned from Peter's life, particularly that story of Peter stepping out into the water. And so uh, it was a blessing to me and being able to go back and listen to that. I encourage you to go to our website or our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and find that sermon. We have two more weeks in this study that we're in, studying through the book of 1 Peter, this week and next week. And then on Easter Sunday, which is just a couple of weeks away, I'll be starting a short three-week sermon series talking about my very favorite topic, resurrection. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to be looking forward to that. I'm, I, this, this study we've been in has been uh, a rich blessing to my life, and uh, it's been a gift to be able to study through Peter's words in 1 Peter. I want to just say a word about resurrection, though, before we jump into the sermon. I hope that you are thinking already about Easter, which is, again, just a couple of weeks away, and hope you're planning to be here to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. You know, the resurrection provides so much hope. It's, it's the anchor for all of our faith, that we believe that Jesus is alive today, and that we can know him and be in relationship with him, that the tomb in Jerusalem is still empty. Amen? Amen? Amen. we got to be more excited about the resurrection than that. And so we're going to be spending some time thinking about that. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to be thinking about who you are going to invite to be here on Easter Sunday. Uh, we celebrate the resurrection as we talk about from time to time every week. That's the reason Christians have gathered on the first day of the week, on Sunday, for centuries and centuries. But there's something special about Easter. It's significant. And it's a special day to remember and to gather and to know that people around the world are focusing on this specific topic and the hope that the resurrection gives us. And so I want to challenge you to invite someone to be here on that day, somebody in your circle of relationships, uh, in your life. It's going to be a great day. There are going to be a lot of different things happening with an Easter egg hunt and all of those things. But I want to ask you to be considering who you're going to invite, be praying about who you're going to invite to be with us on April 17th and to be your guest. I also want to make mention of the fact that leading up to Easter Sunday on the 17th, uh, we're excited to have back, after four years of not doing this, our uh, Passover meal, our Seder meal. We did this for the first time in 2018, planned to do it in 2020, and then all the plans we had in the spring of 2020 got canceled, as everybody knows. And so we're excited to bring this back. Maybe you've seen the announcements, you've seen church emails. Some of you may be wondering, what is this exactly? Uh, and so I want to just take a second and kind of highlight this event that's going to be happening on Wednesday night, April the 13th, leading up to Easter Sunday during that week that, that people know of as, and talk about as Holy Week. Uh, this meal is a chance to experience what it would have been like for Jesus and the disciples, and the meal that they shared on that last supper that they had together before Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, and so what we do, what we'll, what we'll do together as we gather is we're going to reenact and be a part of a Passover meal that Jews have been celebrating for centuries. And so 
Even if Wednesday nights are not a part of your normal weekly rhythm in the life of our church, I want to encourage you to be here on that night. If you did not do it four years ago, you're in for a treat. It's a blessing. If you were, you already know that it was a special night. You can RSVP and let us know at that email address, rsvp at kaufmanchurch.org. It's important that you do that. We'll, ha- we'll have some tables in the room for people who don't do that, but it's important that you do that because uh, there's some preparation and food stuff involved. So you can let us know you're coming to be a part of that, and I promise you it will be a rich blessing. It will, I think, prepare you for Easter Sunday in a way that is different maybe than, than you have been prepared before. So just be aware of that. So today we're going to be back in 1 Peter. We're going to be in the last part of 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, and again, two weeks ago, we covered the first half of this chapter. And today we're going to look at the, at the last seven or eight verses or so. I want to pray as we begin uh, and as we jump into God's word together. So let's do that. Father, we're thankful again to be here. We proclaim as we've just sung, blessed be your name. And we're thankful, Father, for a chance to open your word together and to study. We pray that the words, these ancient words, will come to life for us today and will speak into our hearts, into our situations, both the ones that we're living in now and the the lives that we will live, the encounters and experiences we'll have in the days and years to come. And we know, God, as we just sang, that sometimes the road is marked with suffering and that there will be pain in that offering. And we want to be a people. We, we sang about wanting to be a people who, even in the midst of those difficult roads that we sometimes have to walk in life, that we will be a people who still say, blessed be your name. Regardless of the circumstances in our life, that that will be the words from our lips. And we pray, Father, that you'll give us the courage to live into that song and to live into this scripture that we're going to study together this morning. You'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I've titled today's sermon, you might have noticed if you're observant uh, in the bulletin, I've titled the sermon today, The Gift of Suffering. The Gift of Suffering, which might seem like an odd thing to think about if you really think about what I'm saying there. And here's why I've titled it that. When we looked at the first part of 1 Peter 4 two weeks ago, I mentioned that one thing that you need to know about this particular chapter in 1 Peter is that the word suffer or suffering shows up more than any other New Testament book. Just think about that for a minute. It shows up in this short book more than any other New Testament book. Six times in 1 Peter chapter 4, we see that word suffer in some form or another. Two of them were in the first part of the chapter that we looked at two weeks ago, and four of them are in these last eight eight verses. And the point that I mentioned, the reason I mentioned that is that this is obviously an idea, a theme for Peter. He's, he's saying something. He's wanting to communicate a specific message. And you're going to see today that that theme, we kind of started two weeks ago, we're going to continue today with that theme. And I want you to know as we start, as we jump into this passage, that any time I talk about something like suffering, I am mindful in my sermon preparation, in the delivery of the sermon, I am mindful of your suffering of my suffering. I'm thinking about your face and your experience and my experiences. This is not just an idea, it's abstract idea that I'm thinking about, but as I'm thinking about it and thinking about how to talk about some of these things that Scripture says, I'm thinking about what the, the, the experiences that I know that many of you have had because I've lived life with you, and I know your experiences, and I want 
you to know that I am aware of that and I am sympathetic to that. I am mindful of that. I know that you have experienced and lived through some difficult things. Many of you suffering of, suffering of all kinds have, have been experienced in this room. And I want you to know that as we talk about that, that I'm, I'm aware of that. And just, just hear my heart in that as we jump into this passage this morning. As you're going to see, though, Peter continues with this theme. He starts with a really interesting statement. He says this in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now, we're going to stop there. I'm going to spend the majority of the sermon talking about that verse because I think this verse informs everything else that he's going to say in the last part of this chapter. We, as human beings, know in our hearts, right, that suffering is not the way life was meant to be. We know that suffering is not the way that life was meant to be. We see pain, we see brokenness, we see heartache, we experience those things, and we can feel, when you experience something difficult, you can feel deep in your being that it isn't right. It isn't the way that God imagined the world to be. When you feel sadness at the news of another person's diagnosis, when you see someone dying, when your heart feels heavy at the news of another war in our world, another famine, another drought, when you feel heartbroken or helpless over a marriage that is struggling or a family that is going through a difficult time, someone that's battling depression, you battling depression or loneliness, when you experience other kinds of suffering that have all, have many, of, many of you have experienced, that thing that you feel that says to you, this is not right, it's your, it's your spiritual antenna that says, hey, things shouldn't be this way. This is not the way that God imagined the world to be. And you sense this because you know that this is not th- how things have always been. That our world wasn't designed to be this way. And that instinct that you have, I want to affirm this morning, is right. That's right. Things aren't supposed to be the way that they are. And Peter knows this. And yet, he makes the almost startling statement when you really let his words kind of wash over you. It's, it's really shocking that suffering should come as no surprise for people who follow Jesus Christ. Suffering is going to happen in life, and more specifically, it's going to happen to you in your faith journey. But as I mentioned two weeks ago, suffering can be felt in lots of different ways. Sometimes suffering comes because you have made a decision as a follower of Jesus to deny yourself. Because of your relationship with Jesus, you've chosen to not do certain things, hopefully. Because of your relationship with Jesus, you might want to do something, you might want to say something, but you choose not to because you are denying yourself. You're not going to do that. You're not going to be a part of that. You're not going to talk about those things or those people behind their back. And those are decisions that you make. And may, though you may not see that as a kind of suffering, it is because you're, you're choosing to not do something that you might want to do, to get even with someone, to talk about someone, to be a part of something that maybe would be enjoyable or fun or whatever it might be. And this may look like, again, a situation where you experience suffering in some way. And, you know, you want to be selfish in this situation. You think in in those various examples that I just gave, you want to be selfish, but I'm going to choose selflessness instead. 
I want to be stingy with my money would be another way of thinking about this, maybe with thinking about it in terms of generosity, but I'm going to choose generosity instead. I want to forgive that person. I don't, I don't want to forgive that person, but because of Christ, I'm going to live into this practice of forgiveness instead. And when we live like this, again, a kind of suffering can come from choices like that because what you're doing is denying yourself, your flesh, and your desire. Make sense? And so they, in 1 Peter 4, when Peter writes this, they are suffering because of persecution, right? Being a Christian in this culture was not accepted. It wasn't warmly greeted. And sometimes that brought persecution. More than likely, we are not going to experience persecution, at least in our lifetimes, in the same way. Maybe your suffering will come through a tough circumstance in your life. Maybe it happens because you're struggling with doubts, questions, depression. Maybe it's a physical situation with your physical body that's created some sort of a health challenge for you, right? To, to any and all suffering, Peter says, when you experience suffering, do not be surprised. And I need to warn you, again, what he says next there, as you see, is not how we typically think about suffering. Peter calls these situations that we find ourselves in fiery ordeals, which is a really interesting way to say it. Fiery situations in our lives that he says what they actually do, these situations, is that they have, they have the actual ability to transform us, to change us, to shape us into the people that God wants us to be. The Bible uses the image of fire a lot to describe a process, a refining process that happens, that takes place in us. And this is what Peter is saying here. That word fiery ordeal actually means like a burning, a trial, a refining process. That phrase that has come on you that he uses there in that verse actually means to come into a new state of being. So he's literally saying a trial that you are going through is going to lead you into a new person, a new state of being. You will be transformed through the fire. Do you hear what he's saying? It isn't trial, suffering, struggle, difficulty for the sake of trial, suffering, difficulty, and suffering. God isn't out to get you, looking for ways to make life harder than it already is. It's a trial that has the ability to refine us change us, move us from one kind of person into another kind of person. Because what happens when something goes through fire is that a new thing comes out on the other side. And this is not a popular idea that I'm talking about this morning. It's not a fun idea necessarily, but it is a true idea. And something I've said before but just felt incredibly appropriate to remind us and repeat again today is that the primary way that we grow is through suffering. The primary way that we grow is through suffering. It's not, again, the most cheerful sermon that I've ever preached before this morning. I realize that. But it is an important sermon. And it isn't the only way we grow. Notice that I said primary. It is a primary way. And why is this the case? Why do I believe this with all my heart? Why is it that the primary way that we grow is through suffering? The primary way we grow is through hard things. Here's why it works this way. Because you and I do not choose suffering. It happens. 
It just happens as a result of the broken and fallen world that we live in. When life is good, the reason that transformation and growth, spiritual growth happen through hard things, through suffering, is that when life is good, you don't need God. And in good times, we tend to forget about our need for God. Nobody would say it this way, but that's the reality of the way we live. You can kind of start thinking in good times, I'm kind of doing this stuff on my own, right? Am I right? But when you've experienced moments when you were clearly not in control, what it did was that it forced you to depend on God in a way that you didn't need to depend on God before. You might not have even thought you needed to depend on God in that way when things were rolling along smoothly, right? And the fact that you don't choose to suffer is actually the point because we would prefer to be comfortable. We would prefer to be pain-free. And I, I absolutely, 100% love living in America, but we have to be honest about this point. Our culture is built on comfort and security. Those are incredibly high values in our culture, church. They are the things that politicians build their platforms on to get you and I to vote for them. They are baked into everything that we, that we see, everything around us, to the point that we don't even think about it. It's just the water we swim in at this point. I think I have seen this in our, one of the, one of the ways that this plays out was, is with parenting. There's been this shift in our culture where parents, the, the phrase began to show up in, in society, helicopter parenting. You've heard this phrase, right? What is that? It's parents hovering over their children to prevent any kind of heartache or suffering or pain in their children's lives, snatching them away from the fire as soon as it happens, Right? And that idea is everywhere. If you don't believe me, let's buy my lunch this week and we'll talk more about it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I actually think, and this is not really about the sermon, but I think the way to provide our children a godly self-esteem, to be more actually aware of who they are in Christ, is to allow some suffering to happen in their lives, not to prevent it at all costs. And we need that too. God is our parent, and us as the kids. For crying out loud, when I suffer even the smallest headache, I want Advil immediately. Amen? I want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. What is that at its core? It's that I don't want to be painful. I'm in pain. I want to be pain-free. I want to be comfortable. But if, if we have, when we experience hard things in life, if we have the eyes to see that God can use that thing that I'm going through to transform me, mature me, grow me up in Christ, then it turns out it can be a gift. Not that God did it to you. That's not how God works. But God can use it. You with me? Not a gift you would ever choose but a gift that you need nonetheless. Let's keep reading. This is what he says next in verse 13. But rejoice, he's just going to support what he just said, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. However, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter sees the sufferings that these Christians in his context were experiencing. He sees that these, these, that these sufferings that these Christians are enduring and that we endure are a way to participate in the sufferings that Christ experienced. What if your perspective changed when you experience suffering of any kind? That instead of it being, why me? That it's, I get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. And he almost has a bit of a humorous tone in his words. If you have ears to hear the humor, I think, with, with what he, it's almost like a little tongue-in-cheek kind of way. He's like, just make sure if you suffer, right, it's for the right reasons. Murderers and thieves are going to suffer, but that's not the kind of suffering we want. If you're insulted, now we're talking. You're blessed. If you suffer because you bear the name Christian, that's what we're talking about. You should praise God. You should rejoice. You should see it all as a way to be more like Jesus. This is not the way we think about suffering. And we read this and we have to wonder, is Peter actually crazy? Like, has he lost his mind? What is wrong with this guy? Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that. Because he's talking about suffering in a way that I don't experience and that I don't see in our world. And I don't think he's crazy. I think what he's doing is helping us think about our suffering in the right way. The reason that Peter suggests that we rejoice, that we praise God, that we consider ourselves blessed to have experienced trials is that he knows that when we go through hard things, it is going to be very easy to start thinking, what in the world, God? I thought you loved me, and this is what I get? Amen, anybody? Right? You've experienced things, and you begin to wonder, what in the world? Another thing? When is it going to stop? How much do I have to do? And it's not this give and take, give and take. we give, and God, God gives us. I mean, it's, it's, does it work? We, does it work in like this transactional way that we typically think about blessings? It's natural. It is normal to have an initial reaction when hard things happen to us that you experience like, what in the world is going on? And I, and I say that because I want you to remember the guy writing these words has been through some really hard things. He, he knows what he's talking about. One of my favorite stories about Peter is in Acts chapter 5 when the disciples, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can go back and read it on your own. It is a powerful story. In Acts chapter 5, when the disciples are told to stop teaching about Jesus in the temple, and they won't stop. They get thrown in jail as a result. Peter gets thrown in jail as a result. But then in the story, God breaks them out of jail, which is a really cool thing. And, God tell, and then they're told by an angel, go back. This is the way it said, it's, it's stated in Acts 5. Go back and tell the people about this new life. And they go and do it. And some people then, they, get, they were in jail. God breaks them out of jail. They're told by an angel to go back and tell people about new life. They go back to the temple where they had just been and got thrown in prison for being and teaching about Jesus in that space. They go back to the same place. 
And then some other people come and they tell the religious leaders, they say, hey, those guys that you threw in prison, they're back at it, preaching and teaching about Jesus again in the temple. And so they bring them together and they're questioned. You know what Peter says in that story? He says, we must obey God rather than human beings. And the Sanhedrin doesn't know what to do. They are baffled by this guy. He might be crazy. So you know what they decide? They decide to beat the disciples. Flogged is the word that the NIV uses, but you can imagine that it was painful, whatever it was. And I, want you to, I just want to read the last part of how this story ends. Listen to what happens. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name. Day after day, so they didn't listen, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And I share this story because I think it's important that we know that this guy, Peter, knows what he's talking about. He is a credible source when it comes to suffering and when it comes to how we view our suffering. Peter is saying faith in Christ is nothing to be ashamed of, even if and when society says it is something to be ashamed of. And suffering doesn't mean that God is out to get us, but rather provides us a platform. They didn't think that God was out to get them. It provided them a platform to show the world their joy and their hope. Because they realized that their joy and hope were never dependent on their circumstances. Our joy and our hope, their joy and hope, are given from Jesus Christ and cannot be taken away by our suffering or our situation. Peter finishes chapter 4 with these words. He says in verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will, be the outcome, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Even though the Bible is clear. We need to be very clear about these verses that we've just read. The Bible is clear that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is also clear that there will be judgment. And however you think about judgment and how it will play out, Scripture is not always exactly real clear about, about that. But places like Romans 14, 10 say that we will all have to stand before Christ. We'll all have to stand before God. And those who are in Christ there will, for those who are in Christ, there will be no condemnation. And yet, Peter believes that the suffering that they are currently experiencing here in this context is a type of judgment. Not a condemning judgment, but a refining, purifying, transforming kind of judgment that changes people's lives. And it begins, Peter says, with Christians because we've already committed our lives to Jesus. And we know that this is part of the deal. Remember, again, these people are suffering persecution. So you can imagine, you're, we are not, we're, our lives are not at stake, right? are, not, are not at risk. But if you put yourself in their shoes, they are following Jesus, and they see people dying because of their faith. And so they are probably shocked because they're like, what do we do, right? Which is what, what we would do, right? When, God? When is it going to stop? I thought we were... I thought I was going to have victory every day in Jesus Christ. 
And instead, I got this. And so Peter is saying that this is part of what you signed up for, and don't be shocked by it. He's saying, here's what God's will is. God's will is to suffer like Christ, which again is a hard, hard teaching. Peter is saying, don't suffer like people who get thrown into the arena with the lions and then beg for their lives. No, you do it in a way that is glorifying to God and the name that you bear. You heard in Acts 5, you heard this idea that the early church believed deeply that it was an honor to suffer. They counted themselves worthy to have suffered for the name. I love that. And they considered it an honor to be martyred the way that Jesus was martyred. And so Peter is inviting us to consider our experiences in life and make some decisions about how we will live through those experiences. I recently heard a story about a guy named Robert Mansfield. I want to close with this. Mansfield was the headmaster for a school in South Africa during the days of apartheid. When forced segregation took place in South Africa from the late 40s to the early 90s, during that time, Mansfield's school, a predominantly white school, a white school was prevented from competing against a black school. Mansfield himself was a former soccer star who had turned into a school administrator, and he disagreed with what was going on in his country. And so he lived with it for a long time, but finally, risking everything, he resigned from his job as a leader of the school. He said, I, I, I refuse to participate in this system any longer. And one of his friends said to him, he said, you know, Robert, that you will be wounded because of this decision to quit as the headmaster of this school. Like this decision is going to kill your career. It's going to follow you the rest of your life. You know that, right? And he actually turned out to be right. Because Mansfield had to end up fleeing the country, living in Australia because he took this stance. But Mansfield's answer was really what I was interested in. When he was asked this question, like, you know that you'll be wounded because of this decision, he said, when I go up there, the judge will say to me, where are your wounds? And if I say, I don't have any wounds... Christ will say, was there nothing to fight for? And Mansfield said to his friend, and I couldn't face that question. And what I know about us is that we all have wounds. We all have scars. Some of those scars are on our physical bodies, and some of those scars are on our soul. Those wounds are on our soul, our spirit. And every one of those wounds has a story attached to it. Maybe you scratched your arm, you had a cancerous spot removed, your heart was hurt for one reason or another, you delivered a child. You, however you got the scar or the wound, it has a story. And as I think about that story about Robert Mansfield, and I think about what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter chapter 4, I can't help but wonder about my wounds, about my scars. And I can't help but wonder if maybe all of us should have scars, have wounds that tell a kingdom story that tell a story that proclaim that Jesus is worth suffering for. This, I believe, is what Peter is talking about here. Not that suffering is happening because it's God's will for you, 
in the sense that God is doing it to you, but in the sense that when it happens to you, when you experience trials of all kinds, fiery ordeals, don't be surprised and don't give up. Make it your focus to be committed to your creator who is faithful, Peter says, and who will continue to walk with you so you continue to do good. Know that your goal is that somewhere down the line, even if you can't see it today, your wounds will tell a kingdom story. Your wounds will say to the people in your life that there are things on earth that were worth fighting for. Let's pray together. Blessed be your name, Father. On roads that are marked with suffering and when there is inevitable pain in the offering of those roads, we want to be a people whose knees still bow to you. We know that you are a God that does not forsake us or turn your back on us, and we commit that we will also be a people who will never forsake you or turn our back on you. And today, God, I know that in this room there are some people who are experiencing, they're living through a particular kind of suffering in their, their life, and they are struggling to see it as a gift at all. And I don't, have to have, I don't have the words for that necessarily, but I pray that your spirit will be with them and near them to bring comfort and presence into their heart. I pray that this message today, God, will give us courage to live as people who get wounded for the right reasons, for kingdom reasons, that we, we use all of our influence to make a kingdom difference a lasting eternal difference and not fighting about things that are silly or unnecessary. I pray that you'll empower us to live in a way that the words that we sing will also be the words that we believe because if we're honest, those words that we sang a few minutes ago are hard to live. We want to be a people who proclaim blessed be your name no matter what. May you help us, Father. We pray through the name of our brother, our Savior, and our friend, Jesus Christ, and the church said, amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing one more song uh, before we head into our class time. Let's do that at this time together. Bless